fighting for freedom every day. You as the individual, you have the power. You don't have to join a union. You go in as an entry-level position. You get the experience that you need. And then as you work up, you get better at your job, which means they pay you more. If they don't pay you more, then you go to another company to show what you've learned and what your value is to where you can get more. If they really don't like that, then you can go and start your own damn business because we have a free market laissez-faire capitalist society allegedly, to where you can actually go off and do your own thing. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right you are. Boy, I think we're back on track now. I think we are good to go. Welcome into the program. It is a midweek celebration, a Wednesday, the greatest day of the entire week, ready to make things happen. Another day of absolute excellence, or at least that's what we tell ourselves on a daily basis. This is the Voice of Reason. I am Andy Hoosier. Welcome aboard. Thanks for hanging out today, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. I love it because both of my computers felt like doing a computer's window update right as we about ready to go on the air. So we're back up, we're ready to rock and roll, and we're having some fun. Welcome in. Thanks for hanging out. Let's do this thing today. Congressman Bob Ladd, a bottom of the hour from the 5th District of Ohio. We'll get an update from him from the campaign trail. We'll talk about some of the inflation rates, other issues going on in the nation after the report from the Federal Reserve. They're like, hey, inflation's going down. It's at 8.5%. It's not at 9% anymore. So apparently that's really good news. Apparently. I don't know. For some reason. So we'll get into that here in just a minute. We will talk about the inflation energy crises that's going on as they continuously push this EV nutso stuff going on in society. So we'll get to all that. The angry story that I was going to talk about yesterday we didn't get a chance to talk about. So we'll have some fun with that today as well. Some updates from Tulsi Gabbard after her announcement yesterday going after the Democrat Party pretty viciously. And I say well done to her. I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party that's under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers who were driven by cowardly wokeness. I mean, that, that there, right, that says it. I don't have to say any more than that, so kudos to her, and we'll talk about uh, her update here in a little bit, because now, apparently, she's starting to work with some Republicans. Shocker, right? So, all that, and the latest story of the day, of course, the headline of the day here on The Voice of Reason... What's trending today? Joe Biden is absolutely outraged. He is so outraged he doesn't even know what to say, right? Because America is... America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him... Yeah, he's that outraged. He's that, <laughs> he's that angry. He is that angry with OPEC because of OPEC announcing that they're going to cut their uh, production of near 2 million barrels a day of oil uh, on the global market that's going to squeeze the United States especially, that now he is so angry. He's just livid. He has called them the cartel. He has called them every name in the book of, of his malarkey and shenanigans. And by golly, he is going to do something about OPEC. Well, it doesn't sound like the White House is happy, but it doesn't sound like they have a lot of tools. You ended the interview with a discussion about the No Oil Producing and Exporting Cartels Act, which would allow the U.S. to sue producers under the Sherman Antitrust Law. And that's a, that's a pretty big weapon. Uh, to say that they're looking at Congress to tools seemed like a pretty clear reference to NOPEC. That apparently is the response. Hey, we don't like what you're doing. We're going to sue you. I am so angry. I am so outraged that we're going to have high gas prices in this nation, that we're going to be having to grovel at your feet, Saudi Arabia, and other places that we're buying oil with OPEC and, and Russia, who's actually tied to it as well, because, by golly, they're continuously drilling, even though we're buying it directly from them. We're buying it through OPEC, who just went to meet with Russia to get some more of their oil to re, uh, replenish the OPEC reserves so that way they can sell it to the United States. So we're still getting Russian oil. 
We're just going to have to buy it backhandedly through OPEC as opposed to directly from Russia. But we're so angry with you, OPEC, for cutting your uh, manufacturing and production of oil and then trying to go and work deals with Russia. How dare you? I'm so angry that we're just going to sue you. I mean, I guess you can do that. But let me ask you something. If you're in a bad relationship, if you're in, a, in an abusive relationship and someone's horrible to you, what do you do? Do you just like, I'm so angry, I'm going to sue you. I mean, maybe you do sue them if they're abusive or something. That's cool. But what do you do if someone goes out of their way to hurt you? How do you respond? Do you stay with them? Normally, that would be an obvious no. No, I'm not going to stay with you. If you're abusive, if you're harmful to me, I'm not going to stay in this relationship. I'm going to part ways and go do my own thing. I'm going to find myself. I'm going to get myself back on my feet, and I'm going to go with somebody else who actually appreciates and takes care of me. If you are groveling at the feet of OPEC, which is hilarious after the story we read yesterday about how they say that if Donald Trump gets into power that we would lose all global influence and leadership because Donald Trump doesn't have that. We have such leadership in this nation right now that we are groveling at OPEC to continuously supply us the proper amount of oil that we need, which is roughly 22 to 24 million barrels a day that we consume here in the United States. And we're groveling at them to try and supply that to us enough to where we don't have to raise gas prices. If that's the abusive relationship that we're in, and if that's what leadership is, according to Democrats and the mainstream media, I don't want to see what other leadership would look like under their control, because that's not leadership. That shows that we are completely under the thumb of the global leaders, and we have zero power and authority over our own nation. And if you're in an abusive relationship, you usually leave. So I asked Joe Biden why are we staying with OPEC and why do we grovel at them to produce more oil and sue them to make more oil so we can get it as opposed to saying, you know what, here's the double-barreled middle finger, as some like to say on the radio, and we're going to do our own thing. We're going to cut ties with OPEC. We're going to drill baby drill in our own nation. We're going to make our oil domestic again. We're going to lower our own prices. And then maybe, just maybe, if you grovel to us enough, we'll turn around and do what Trump did under the late term of his administration and actually be a net exporter of oil and sell it to OPEC. Why wouldn't we do that? But instead... Oh, no, I am so angry that we're going to sue you. This is the same administration, by the way, that just over the last week has called OPEC the cartel because of how evil they are. But yet we rely more on them because we've halted a lot of the production of oil here on the home front. Makes a whole lot of sense. I hate the cartel, but by golly, we're going to use you and we really need you. And please, please, please send us more oil because we really, really need it. It really reaffirms that you really need to know who you're in bed with business-wise and who you're making relationships with and who you're doing business with overall. And that's something that they're not very good at doing. Which brings me to the next topic of the day and the main focal point of this, uh, this segment here. What's trending today? If you want to know who you're doing business with, if you want to know who you're making business relationships with and who you're, uh, quote-unquote, getting in bed with on a business or economic front, maybe we should second-guess. And I made a post yesterday. Some people didn't quite appreciate it, but I don't really care because that's my personal opinion. I'm allowed to have my personal opinion, whether you like it or not, and you are more than welcome to disagree and call me an idiot or say that I'm wrong, or you can say that you agree, and that's totally cool, too. My post was regarding labor unions, and you know how much I despise labor unions on this program. Well, the remember just about a month ago, month and a half ago, the threat of a potential economic shutdown 
if the railway workers end up walking out and doing a strike and essentially shutting down all production in this nation and transportation in this nation, outside of semi-drivers, of course, but the railways would be completely obsolete and we would halt just about the entire economy. And we thought we had an agreement because the unions and Joe Biden walked in. Remember, Joe Biden waltzed in and his great white horse riding like Gandalf to save the day. And they thought they came to an agreement. They gave some bumps in pay. They gave some additional bonuses. Everything was hunky-dory. Well, apparently, one of the maintenance unions ended up denying the offer from the railway companies. As according to the third largest railroad union, rejected the deal with employers as of Monday this week that could cripple the economy if they step out and do a strike. Here's what the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way Employees Division voted against. Now, again, I wanted you to think about if you are one of these workers, would you take this deal or would you say, yeah, let's go on strike and completely decimate the entire economy? And we can look at the political aspect of this here in just a little bit as well. This was the offer that was made by the railway. A 24% increase in wages and over $5,000 in bonuses for a five-year contract. A five-year contract with 24% bump in pay and $5,000 in bonuses for the workers. And the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way Employees Division denied it, saying that while that's all great and hunky-dory, they want additional paid time off, particularly, according to NBC Nebraska, sick time off, along with better working conditions. Now, I don't know about you, but if you had a union that was, quote-unquote, negotiating under your behalf, and I say that in air quotes because we all know that unions are a bunch of garbage and they don't really represent their people. They're just in it for their own benefit, and they screw the private uh, sector every time that they actually get in muddy water and actually dip their toes into the uh, economy. So if they're representing you and they come to you and they say, hey, we got you a 24% bump in pay and $5,000 worth of bonuses. I don't know if those are sign-on bonuses. I don't know if those are like end-of-the-year bonuses or holiday bonuses or a Christmas. I don't know what kind of bonus that is. According to the story, it just says $5,000 in bonuses and 24% raises. Name another industry out there in the country right now that has gotten a 24% bump in pay. Just throwing it out there. We have a 9% inflation rate right now in this nation. And most individuals, maybe if they're lucky, have gotten a 2 to 3 to 4% bump in pay. So they're still getting roughly a 5% reduction in their pay with a 9% inflation. If you haven't gotten any type of pay raise over the last year or two, then you are 9% lower on your income than what you had just a couple years ago. And you have to, and you see it too when you're filling up your gas tank, when you're buying your groceries, when you're doing your car maintenance, when you're paying your bills. It's going out more and you have less money coming in. You have not maintained up to that 9% inflation rate. These guys are getting a 24% bump in pay, and they rejected the deal because that's cool, but we want additional sick time. Now, I'm all about making sure that if you're sick, don't show up to work because you want to spread it around. I get that. And this may just be the industry that I know because this is the only thing that I know how to do, which is radio. But I don't really get a whole lot of sick time. Now, if I'm sick, the company obviously takes care of me and I can stay at home and I can get better. But with the duties that I have, if I get sick, you don't have a radio show. And I can sometimes find a guest host. I can sometimes throw in a best of. But if I'm really sick, you really don't want to hear best of programs run for three or four or five days straight. So I feel obligated 
to not take sick time, even if I'm feeling a little under the weather. I've done shows where I barely have a voice because I didn't know how to get a program on, and I had too many duties to take care of to where I may lose my voice, which is what I do for a living, but by golly, I'm still going to show up and do my damn job. I get that you're supposed to take sick time. You should take care of yourself. That's the number one thing. However, if my company said you got a 24% raise and $5,000 in bonuses, and that's our negotiation to keep you around, I'm not turning that down to say that's cool, but I also want an additional week in sick time. That's just me, though, and my crazy work ethic that I have. I'm just throwing that out there. This is the company. This is the union right now, the third largest in the nation, the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way Employees Division, that's willing to shut down the entire economy to crash the entire economy by halting all production and transportation through railways because they want additional sick time after getting a near 25% bump in pay. Tell me how that is misrepresenting your employees and tell me, or your your union reps or your union workers, and tell me how this is not just a greedy socialist garbage that unions try to push because they're trying to stay valid in today's times. Someone disagree with me, please, because I'm trying having a really hard time trying to understand why anyone in their right mind anywhere supports these radio-edited blankety-blank unions that still try to hover and screw up the economy every time that they try to stiff it to the man because evil corporations. Mm, I got to call myself down before we say something that the FCC is not going to like. Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Bring some reason into your day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. All right, all right. I think we, we gathered ourselves. I think we've recollected ourselves. I have gone into my there we go, my Zen moment for a day. Trying to calm myself down after that. These unions, they are. I and look, I, a lot of Republicans disagree with me on this too. Oh, there's purpose for unions. There's a reason for them. I've yet to see a single reason in the last 20 years where a union has. Okay, let's say 30 years since the time of Obama. I have yet to see a study or a case where the union is actually beneficial in a negotiation case. Imagine what's going to happen here for a second. If you will, let's run down the theoreticals. If we end up getting this, we do additional sick time. They get everything that they want because they are the greedy Democrat socialists who just think that it's all about them. And that's all they care about because they're selfish. They're narcissists and they're selfish. Those are that's the progressive liberal mindset. That's the liberal progressive ideology. And that's what unions do. They don't care about anybody else but themselves. So. Let's break this down and see theoretically what this does to the market. Let's say that we give all union workers on the railway 24% increase. We give them the $5,000 in bonuses. We give them the additional paid sick time, so on and so forth. I'm assuming there's a lack of sick time or paid time off right now because there's not a lot of workers in the industry. I could be wrong on that. Don't quote me. I don't know. That is my assumption, is that there's not a lot of paid time off for workers in the railway right now because... The industry is so squeezed with the lack of workers, which means, guess what? <laughs> we have an opportunity to hire more individuals. And uh, I saw a comment saying, I wonder what their pay was before the 24% increase. Just a generic. I don't know about specifically the maintenance of way, because these are like the maintenance workers, I guess. But just general whale, railway workers, I Googled it, and it's roughly about $50,000 a year. A 24% increase gets them up to the mid-60s in salary. Not too shabby. 
Not too shabby. That's definitely a bump, and I'm sure that those workers would thoroughly enjoy that if they could actually get their ass back to work and do that, which right now they are. According to the union, they said that they're going to wait until mid-November to renegotiate when Congress reconvenes and give them a week or so for Congress to help to be part of the negotiation, because why the hell not? Let's just have the Democrats in Congress be part of a private sector negotiation. Makes all the sense in the world, right? But let's theoretically say they get everything that they want to here. What would that do to the market? Well, what the, what does the market do here? This is an industry that transports just about a vast majority of all of our goods and services across the nation, which means the railway companies, BNSF and whatever else that's out there, all those other companies that are the actual train and railway companies, that would be a major hit to their bottom line. Major hit, 24% increase. Yeah, that's a big that's a big hit. So what happens there? They then raise their prices for transportation to charge the uh, companies that's trying to transport goods using their services, which means now the transportation of the raw materials or the final products, whatever it may be, or coal or whatever, those prices are going to be going up pretty dramatically, which means at the end of the day, the transportation is higher, which means the cost of the good is higher, which means you as the consumer, including these guys that are getting their pay raises, will be paying more at the gas pump or paying more in their electricity powered by the coal that they transported on their railways or or cost more for the good or service that they buy at the local general store or whatever they're buying that was transported by these railways. Tell me how that benefits them when they're paying more out of pocket even though they got more money. This, ladies and gentlemen, is exactly how inflation works in this nation. And this is exactly what the super intelligent, college educated folks at the Federal Reserve and the left wing side of the political aisle and the Democrats and all the big government yahoos, this is what they have a hard time grasping. That if it's going to cost more to transport everything across this nation, which will happen, the prices at the end of the day, you as the consumer, you get to pay more out of pocket. And I'm pretty sure. Just throwing this concept out there, pretty sure that you, unless you're working for that railway company, have not received a 24% increase in your wages for you to compensate for those increase in prices on top of the already 9% inflation that we're seeing in this nation. Could be wrong. Maybe you've gotten a 30%, in which case I applaud you and whatever industry you're in, you need to give me a heads up. <laughs> but it's going to affect everybody. But these selfish narcissistic unions and I'm using that as a general term for every labor union out there right now is screwing up the economy by doing crap just like this The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier When Reason Meets Radio you're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into The Voice of Reason. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Always a pleasure to have you uh, with us. Really excited to have this guy back on the program as we get our monthly updates. Not from Washington, D.C., as we are back in the home state, uh, back on the campaign trail and trying to get everybody active to get out to vote in less than a month away. Can you believe that it's already there? Excited to have on from the 5th Congressional District from the great state of Ohio. It's Congressman Bob Latta with us again. Congressman, how are you, my friend? Good morning. How are you? I am good. It's always good to chat with you. We love our monthly chats 
with you. There's a lot of stuff to talk about here, obviously, and I want to get into some campaign and election stuff here in just a minute. But while you guys are out of Washington, D.C., there's still a lot of things going on. We've been watching the economy. We're still floating about 9% inflation or beyond. The Federal Reserve looking at raising interest rates again. We have gas prices that are starting to climb again. I'd, uh, you would think during election time they would at least pretend to make the economy look good. But right now, I think there's a lot of angry people that we can't purchase a lot of stuff at the grocery store or fill up our gas tank without paying an insane amount of money. Well, you know, you're absolutely right, because yesterday the numbers came out from the Congressional Budget Office and looking at the we're looking at what the deficit is going to be this year. And it's going to be one point four trillion dollars. Again, that's one point four trillion dollars. And a big part of that number is going for if it goes forward with Biden's, uh, you know, uh, ten thousand or twenty thousand dollar, quote unquote, loan forgiveness uh, for student loan. And uh, so, you know, that number has gone from. But they first of all, the administration didn't even know what the number was when they announced this whole idea. Then the next thing is they were at three hundred billion. Then it's about four hundred and thirty six or four hundred eighty six billion. And the Wharton School says it's about a trillion dollars. So, you know, right off the bat, you see that number. Then you see that the mortgage rate for the 30-year is at 6.81%. So all of a sudden, the housing market's slowing down, and that means the building market's going to slow down, and everything's going to start slowing down on that end because, again, people can't go out and buy houses. And uh, when you think of that, uh, you know, you and I have talked in in the year 2030, that we're going to be paying a trillion dollars just to pay interest on the national debt. So all of this is all coming back with massive Democrat spending yeah. without paying for it. And last year, that $1.9 trillion bill that they passed through without a Republican vote, that uh, that's, you know, that's going to hurt Americans into the future, and we're going to have to pay for it at some point in time. Yeah, it is unfortunate. I mean, my generation, the millennial generation, already has a slowdown in home sales and trying to be off on their own and actually start their own family. And now we're seeing mortgage rates at potentially 7% for mortgage rates. No one's going to be able to buy a home for 7% interest. That's insane. Well, and I had, uh, before we uh, broke for the October work period back here, I was meeting with some of our community bankers in Washington from the district. And I always like to start off a kind of a lead knew the answer was i said well tell me how's your mortgage business and they pretty much all said at the same time what mortgage business <laughs> because again people have just it stopped wow. and uh, so you know this is this is going to hurt everyone and you know when people are going to go to the bank to get a loan to you know for their to operate their business or for a farmer to go out when they're out uh, farming all, all of these loans are going to go up in cost and it's going to increase what inflation which is then going to hit everybody right in the wallet so uh you know, middle-class America is going to be like, what happened? And it's just like massive out-of-control spending in Washington. Yeah, it is unfortunate. It's really sad. But yet they continue just to spend money. The inflation rate continues to climb. But the Federal Reserve, when they say we're just going to raise interest rates to try and price people out of the market for it to kind of balance itself out, they never have the conversation of let's go ahead and lower spending. Just a couple of weeks ago, before you guys did leave, you ended up passing the the continuing resolution, unfortunately, to fund the government until December, without a look at the the budget and the appropriations bills and what's going to happen there, without actually breaking anything down, we just passed the same thing. And then on top of it, added foreign relief for Ukraine and for Afghanistan and everything else going on. We're not it, it seems like we're not taking the budget and government spending seriously right now because they just don't care. 
Well, you see, when you say budget, that's a, that's a misnomer to start with. They, they did not even produce a budget this year. And, they, you know, I can't, I, can't, I can't remember what year the last time they actually had passed a budget out of the budget committee and then forward. Then the next problem is, of course, is that we don't do our appropriation bills. And those uh, 12 appropriations bills should be done because that's how you can uh, really get into the nitty gritty as to what's in these line items. Because when you pass a continuing resolution of which... I voted against because, you know, it did nothing about lowering inflation, any uh, issue about uh, what's going on on the border with immig- you know, illegal immigration, all this stuff. Nothing nothing got taken care of. So all a continuing resolution does is exactly what it says. It just continues the spending as it is right now. And even, you know, the, a lot of times, you know, the appropriators might on our side might support something. But uh, our ranking Republican on uh, Kay Granger on the committee came right out and said she's going to. She said it, it does not do what we need to do, and so she voted against the appropriation bill or the continuing resolution. Again, yeah. it, it did not do what it was supposed to do, and and we're not doing our work in Congress. Yeah, that is very true. Last question on this one before we kind of shift gears a little bit here. But the student loan forgiveness, obviously, while they're spending more money, they're wanting to relieve student loans up to $10,000 or $20,000 for some or however they're breaking that down. But now it's being challenged by at least six or seven different lawsuits right now. From your opinion, uh, is it going to go through? Will we start seeing a write-off from the federal government or is it going to be stopped? Well, I'm sorry. We just had a kind of a glitch here. But you know, when you're looking at on the uh, student loan stuff, here's always the big thing when you file lawsuits. You want to make sure that you've got proper standing or the court's going to throw it out right off the bat. And uh, so I know that I think one of the uh, uh, cases right now, they're going to appeal it up uh, to the next the district court uh, uh, throughout the case. But, uh, you know, this, this thing's probably going to go straight to the Supreme Court because, again, uh, you know, first of all, the president of the United States does not have the constitutional authority to do what he said he's going to do. And if you go back and look at Nancy Pelosi said last year, she said he did not have the authority. So I'm not sure how Nancy changed her tune in, in just over a year saying that the president didn't have authority to saying now he does have authority. Yeah, that's true. And if it does go to the Supreme Court, then I am optimistic it's going to be shot down because of some of the rulings that they've made, including the one from back in June where they shot down the ability for the EPA to just spend massive amounts of money without congressional approval as well. So if it goes there, then I'm optimistic this program could get shut down. Well, and again, you know, I'm a strict uh, constructionist of the Constitution. you got to read it and what it says, that's it. Yeah. And how they've been able to interpret some of these through the years, saying that they can get around uh, uh, the idea that it's the House of Representatives and the United States Senate that does what? We're, we're the ones out there supposed to be doing uh, on the appropriations and the spending out there, not not a department or an agency going on their merry way. So I, I hope that we can get this thing tightened up. And also, especially, because once you get a ruling, on, you know, let's just say that the court would rule, and say that the that the president does not have this authority. All of a sudden, a lot of other areas that this uh, the executive action that's been going on could be curtailed. Sure, I just we're talking with Congressman Bob Latta from the fifth district of Ohio. Let's shift gears to <laughs> energy to gas prices. Gas prices are on the way back up. OPEC or OPEC Plus, I guess, said that they were going to stop producing roughly two million barrels a day and uh, short the market, the global market. In that sense, the Biden administration's glorious response was, well, let's re- let's release another 10 million barrels from our reserves. 
which is about a half a day's worth of production that we use in consumption here in the country. So I guess that solves the issue. But uh, we're still doing this ridiculous push to electricity. And I just don't understand it. We're not producing oil here. During Hurricane Ian down in Florida, the Biden administration just asked the uh, the oil companies not to drill anywhere else to compensate, but just not to raise gas prices because they couldn't drill during the hurricane. In that time, there is still a full-out war and an assault on oil and natural gas when we're seeing the pay- the punishment at the pump with near $4 gallons of gas again. Well, you know, it also depends on where you're uh, I was just out in Nevada, and gas is five dollars and sixty nine cents, wow. and that's that's pretty, that's that's pretty high. And but you know, again, what the president and the Democrats have done, you know, they they declared their war on fossil fuels. And you know, I always tell people, remember, go go back prior to this administration and think about during the Trump administration and Republicans controlled the House and the Senate. How often did you pick up a paper and read the words OPEC in any story? OPEC was was on the decline. OPEC didn't have any power or authority out there to try to regulate the world prices. Because why? The United States was out drilling. And by the United States drilling, that meant that uh, we were able to to, uh, put the the United States back in the driver's seat. But as soon as the president killed Canada, the world that he was down uh, drilling offshore on uh, federal leases and the same on uh, on leases onshore, that uh, this is this is what the result is. And so when you uh, then look around with the president, you know, is begging, you know, Venezuela and begging the Saudis to increase production, boy, that puts you in a good bargaining position when everybody knows that you're in, you're in trouble and you're begging for it, that, uh, you know, they're not going to listen to you. And so I think that the president went hat in hand to Saudi Arabia not too long ago, and the Saudis said, no, no, no we're going to increase production. And what did they turn around and do with with everybody else saying, we're going to cut production? Yeah. And uh, But again, we, we can solve this problem very simply by the United States going out and drilling, because again, we were told we had no natural gas. We were told we didn't have the oil. And by uh, the technology that we had uh, developed through fracking, that all of a sudden what happens, the United States becomes, in a, any given day, the ability to yeah. or Russia oil production and become the largest natural gas producer in the world. There it is. That was Congressman Bob Ladder from the 5th District of Ohio. That interview went a lot longer than that. We covered a lot more ground, so we will post that as a special feature podcast after the program, and you can listen to that interview in its entirety, which I do highly recommend as usual because he's got some really great information. We get into some of the energy issues as well with electric vehicles and the prices of energy you may experience here coming up relatively soon, and, of course, an election update as well. We always appreciate him coming on the program. Always great stuff. All right, we'll take a break. we got one more segment here for a midweek celebration. We'll touch on wrapping up this union conversation. We'll talk about the latest from Tulsi Gabbard. What's her next move and a heck of a lot more. It's a Wednesday. It's The Voice of Reason. Stay right here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. Last few minutes of the show. Boy, oh boy, does it fly right on by way too fast. Good golly. We're already to the end here for a midweek celebration. Can you believe it? We're back at it again tomorrow for the next couple of days. So 
get ready for that and another week down to getting closer to election season. But with that, thanks again, by the way, to Congressman Bob Latta coming on the show, 5th District of Ohio. We love the state of Ohio and what he's doing. There are some big races out there. J.D. Vance running for that Senate seat. We have to keep that one as a Republican seat. And looking at some of those elections, I mean, I'm optimistic about Ohio, although, and he does mention this in the uh, interview, if you want to listen to the extended interview, which we will upload as our downloadable podcast, which you can find our podcast, The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Again, you have to type out the whole thing, The Voice of Reason with Andy. There's a few other Voice of Reason shows out there as podcasts, but we're kind of the original and kind of the awesome one. So The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. You subscribe, you can like it, you can download all of our episodes and check out all of our content. But we will upload the entire extended interview with the congressman after the program today as there was a lot of really great information in there and I don't want you to miss it. But he mentions the state of Ohio and how the legislature will stay in the state level in Ohio will stay Republican, obviously. Uh, Mike DeWine, the governor of Ohio, is up by like a 20-point lead there. So that's awesome. I know that he's a bit of a moderate Republican, but he's Republican nonetheless. And let's maintain that. Let's keep that going. The concern is the state Supreme Court in the state of Ohio as they've gone from about a uh, 5 to 1 or 6 to 1 down to about a four to three majority for Republicans. So it was, uh, it's, it's concerning. The Supreme Court is uh, that narrow. So uh, any type of races, I don't know who's on the ballot there right now for, or at least to retain or not retain or how Ohio does their Supreme Court justices. But that is a concern with the Supreme Court moving uh, that tightly in that state. At the same time, in the national level, we have to focus on these Senate races as we need J.D. Vance from Ohio to get in there. We need Dr. Oz to get in there, which the polls are starting to be favorable for him again. Hopefully that maintains because I'm telling you that John Fetterman, man, he's crazy. He's just a crazy guy. Then you have, um, who is a Herschel Walker down in Georgia that we need to get in there as well, regardless of all the personal attacks that they're throwing at him, which I, why not play the victim on that? Say that they're playing the race card. Play the race card, Herschel. Why the heck not? They do it to us all the time. And apparently the moral standards of family values only hold up if you're trying to attack a Republican. If there's any type of shenanigans or loosey-goosiness there. Democrats, though, oh, it's cool. We're totally in favor of it. It's all fine. Don't worry about it. It was the governor. Was it Virginia? West Virginia, the guy that uh, actually got busted with the blackface from a while ago. Oh, don't worry about it. He's fine. And another campaign, as we look at Tulsi Gabbard after her announcement from leaving the Democrat Party yesterday, which was an amazing statement. I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party that's under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers who were driven by cowardly wokeness. I mean, that's a bold statement. She has, number one, announced that she is going to be doing a podcast show, the Tulsi Gabbard Show. So that's cool. I'm looking forward to listening to that and seeing how well uh, she does there and seeing her true ideas not being an elected representative or an individual that's in public office. I am excited to see what she has to say there. But she has already turned against the Democrats in a very strong way. And she is now helping campaigns for Republicans across the nation. As the latest tweet from Don Bolduck, he is a candidate for uh, a congressional seat in the state of New Hampshire. A mildly moderate state, by the way, obviously being on the East Coast there. He is holding a campaign rally coming up here soon with Tulsi Gabbard being a speaker at the rally. Come on, man. That's awesome. According to the tweet from Don Bolduck, which you can find at Jen Don Bolduck, G-E-N-D-O-N-B-O-L-D-U-C, 
and he tagged Tulsi Gabbard in it, is a fellow change agent. So apparently both of them have been Democrat turned Republican in the state of New Hampshire. That's pretty impressive as well. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard is a fellow change agent, an independent-minded outsider willing to speak the truth to power. I'm honored to have her support and looking forward to barnstorming New Hampshire with her. He goes on to say during his press statement that while we don't agree on every issue, I am honored to have the support of Tulsi Gabbard, who shares my views that the status quo is broken and we need a change of direction. Tulsi is a fellow change agent and spent every day between now and Election Day building a wide coalition of supporters that includes Republicans, independents, and disaffected Democrats who know that Senator Hassan is a career politician and must be retired. Tulsi Gabbard is that outsider, that independent-minded outsider willing to speak the truth to power. While we don't agree on everything, I said yesterday, welcome aboard Tulsi Gabbard. Hopefully you join the Republican Party, but if not, at least campaigning for Republicans is good enough and helping out moderate Republicans on the East Coast to beat Democrats, I'm totally cool with, and I think we should really be happy about that. We'll see how far that campaign goes before the Democrats come after her. That does it for us today. Podcast up in just a little bit. The extended as well shortly after. Until then, we're back at it tomorrow. Be your own voice of reason. Be that change for Catalyst. This is the voice of reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio tomorrow.